0: are finishing up today our Upside Down series, and we have been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we will continue to go through the Gospel of Luke um, in the weeks and months to come, but we have been looking at a specific portion of the Gospel of Luke. If you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, and um, we're going to just remind ourselves of what we have been studying If God has been teaching you through uh, Luke chapter 6, just say, Amen. amen. Uh, I have been, I'm telling you, this word is powerful and active, and it is able to show us God, it's able to show us ourselves, and it is able to lead us in the way of the Lord, and I am so thankful for that. We have been looking at the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, and the message that Jesus has for those who have committed to follow Him. We're going to start in verse 20. Jesus lifts up His eyes on His disciples and He said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you are rich for you have received your consolation woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets We have been studying this message for the past few weeks, and if you have not been here, you can go online and you can um, click on the worship resources section of the website and listen and study through the notes and the messages of the past month. I encourage you to do that. But we've been looking at this idea, basically, that Jesus is saying, if you're committed to me, then this is the way that we're walking. And it doesn't look like the way that the world is walking. If you're committed to me, don't pursue riches, (coughs) don't pursue comfort, don't pursue just total satisfaction in this world, don't pursue popularity, don't pursue power, don't pursue fame, don't pursue being well liked by all people because that's not the way of God if you truly follow God, if you truly want to follow me, then realize that that road is going to be a road that is marked with not having everything you want, not having all the money that this world can afford, not having total popularity and fame and power, not having just blissful happiness in this world, The way of Jesus is upside down from the way of the world. It's different. It's a different way. And if we're not careful, we can think that somehow by following Jesus, we can follow him and still live the way that the world lives. But Jesus says, he looks up his eyes at his disciples, people just like you and me who have committed themselves to follow him, and says, if you're going to walk, the way that I'm walking. It's not going to look like the way of this world. It's going to be radically different than the way that the world is going to show you to walk. Yeah, you can try to fall into the cultural Christianity thing, but it's not the way of me. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep now. Blessed are those who are persecuted and reviled and spurned. If you walk after my way, that's the way that you're walking. It's not the world's way. Now, that's just a recap of kind of where we've been. Now, I just want to be honest this morning, alright? The reality is the book of James says that we're fools if we just hear the word and we don't obey it, right? It's foolish to, to hear the word and not obey it. It's like a man who walks up to a mirror and sees that he's got dirt all over his face and then walks away and does nothing about it. Now, which one of you would do that? Right? Not many of us. But yet, we come to the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and we see what He wants, and we see ourselves, and we see what needs to be different. And if we just walk away from it and don't do anything about it, God says we're fools. You don't hear the word and not do it. But the reality is, to walk this way... The way of Jesus, like to take this seriously. I mean, we could easily just go through this series and say, oh, okay, bless are the poor, bless are the hungry, bless for those who weep, bless are the persecuted. Good series. Let's go to Christmas, right? I mean, a lot of times we can have that attitude. I can have that attitude. But we're fools if we don't wrestle with how do we put this into practice. Have you, I mean, have you thought about that as we've gone through this series? I hope you have. It's more than an intellectual exercise of understanding what God says about the poor and the rich and the weeping and the laughing and the hungry and the filled. It's more than just a mind game. This is, well, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? How do I actually, if, if I'm going to take this seriously, how does this work? Have you all asked that question? Anybody? Just raise your hand. I want you to buy into this. I want you to just raise your hand if you have at least thought that question. What does this mean for me? I mean, how do I actually live in this? Okay, at least some of it. We're starting to struggle. The reality is, it's hard. This is really, really hard. To take this seriously and walk in it. And I'm struggling with it. Are you struggling with it? Have you struggled with what it means? Blessed are the poor. And here I am with... I go to eat fast food when I don't want to cook at home just because I can, right? Blessed are the hungry, and I just stuffed my face at Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? Blessed are those who weep now, and when's the last time I've truly cried over my sin, or cried over the lostness of a friend who I've been praying for, or cried over an unreached people group? Blessed are the persecuted, but when's the last time that I actually stood up in a crowd, And took a stand for Jesus and took flack for it. When's the last time that happened to you? It's easy to say, oh yeah, all that way is blessed, but yet we're not, you know, it's easy to just not walk in it. And to still live in the the way of the culture. So, I've just been, I've just been struggling. How, How God do I find the strength to obey what you want me to do? How, Jesus, do I actually follow you? How do I take this seriously and not just just brush this off as another good series by Barrett? Not that it was that good, but (laughs) you know what I'm saying. We could easily just do that. Oh, that was another, you know, oh, upside down, that was a good series. But yet we're not any different. I want to be different. I want to obey Jesus. Are you all with me? And I've just wrestled through this. I mean, Michelle and I have been talking each week, and I think, How, Lord, can I preach this? Because we're not there yet. And I don't know that anybody in this room is there yet, but at least I want to engage the struggle. Right? I want you to engage in the struggle of actually how to obey this. Well, I was studying, and I could have ended this series last week, but I really wanted to land on this this week because I came across a psalm that I, one of my favorite psalms in all of Scripture And I was so thankful to God that he brought me to this psalm again because it helped me to know that I'm not the only one in history who has struggled with this, of actually putting into practice what God has said. So I want you to turn to Psalm 73 today. We're going to just walk through this psalm together. I love the psalms because the psalms put words to my heart. If you... If you want a daily practice of thanksgiving and of worship, just turn to the psalms. I'm telling you, just turn to a psalm. You know, Take one psalm a day and just turn to it. The psalms, I'm so thankful for them because God gives us words for our heart, for our heart's expression, the deepest longings of our heart, the deepest expressions, feelings that our heart have in faith are articulated in the psalms. And I can just let the psalms speak for me. And uh, I'm so thankful that God gives me words sometimes when I don't have words to express. Psalm 73. Everybody turn there. I've intentionally not put this on the screen this morning because I I want you to be dependent on your Bible, not me. Because everything that we're going to look at today just comes straight from here. And I want you to go back here later and look at this in your own Bible. Not the screen, but you can look at it in your own Bible and study this. But Psalm 73. And here's the reality, just real quick before we start. This is a guy, a Asaf, who has struggled with the very thing that I'm struggling with, and I hope that you're struggling with. You're living in this world, and you're living for God. And God says, walk this way. <coughs> and it's a struggle to obey God and actually walk that way in the midst of this world. All right? This is what we're going to be looking at today. So, Psalm 73, starting in verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Alright, so right off, look at me, right? Right off, he says, truly God is good to Israel, those that are God's, God's people. Right. There's this recognition, I hope, in all of our hearts. You know in your mind. And I hope you know in your heart that God is good to his people. To those who are faithful to him. Do you know that this morning? We have this understanding, right? God is good to those who are pure in heart. To those who have given themselves to him. Who have committed themselves to him. Everybody with me? Everybody with Asaph, alright? So Asaph starts saying, I know that God is good. God is good. He is good to his people. He is good to those who are faithful to him. Look at verse 2, though. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So what's he saying? I know God is good. I know he's faithful to his people. But I'm struggling. I'm about to walk away from this. I am fighting to hold on. I find myself almost going in a different direction. Y'all ever struggle with like that? Where you think, I know this about God and I know this about those who obey God, but at the point of obedience, my feet are like crumbling out from under me. I find these urges to just walk a different way than the way that I know God has asked me to walk. Even though I know that way (coughs) is wicked. Anybody ever struggled like that? Okay, I have. So I hope that you have. I know that you have, because I know my own heart. At the point of decision, you know this, but everything in you feels like that. Alright? Why was he struggling? Look at verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 4. For they have no pangs until death, Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not as in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All right, so let's go back to verse 3. What's the reason for a soft struggle? He says, I know God's good. I know He's faithful to those who are committed to Him and pure in heart, but yet my feet are almost slipping and I'm almost heading the wrong direction. Why? What does it say in verse 3? I was envious of the arrogant because I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So, what he's doing here, he's looking at people who are not of God, who are not Christians, who don't know the Spirit of God in them, who have never committed themselves to Christ and have never <clears throat> tasted of His goodness, of His grace, and never committed to, to follow Him. And he's looking around and saying, I'm looking at this. And I'm becoming envious of what they're experiencing in this life. I'm becoming envious of those who don't know God. My heart is like wanting what they are experiencing. And what are they experiencing? Let's just walk through it. Verse 4, what is it? They have no pangs until death. Now what is that? Basically, they live an easy life. They don't have any troubles until the time that they die. They go through life carefree, it seems like. You don't know people like that? What else? Verse 3. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They got the food that they need and good food. And they got an abundance of good food. They got so much food that they are growing and growing and growing and growing and growing because all they do is just sit around and eat and enjoy. And man, they look good. They're sleek. They're dressed well. They got it going on. They strut themselves around. Right? Verse 5. They're not in trouble as others are. The sink breaks. They don't have to worry about the money to fix the sink. They just call somebody to fix it. Somebody dies across the country that they love. They don't have to worry about raising money to go visit them. They just buy the ticket and go. They don't have troubles. Everything is just solved. It's easy. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. It doesn't seem like they have any trouble. Verse 6. Pride is their necklace. Violence is their garment. They've encountered great success. So much success that they even oppress people with their success. They have so much success that they sometimes put other people down. And they're proud about it. They're rich off the backs of the poor. They... They have it going on, all right? Verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. Now, I don't want to use an example for any person, but I've seen dogs that are so fat, their eyes are just going kind to of bug out, right? And there are people like that, <laughs> where they literally, their their eyes are just, I mean, they're just, they're so contented here in this world that their eyes are just bugged out. Their hearts overflow with follies. <laughs> Anything they want, they can have. And yet, (coughs) foolish stuff. I mean, they can just spend money on foolish stuff. $2,000 for a hotel room for one night. Maybe I don't know anybody like that. But, you know, they're, they're just, they can do whatever they want. Even stupid stuff they can do. Just because they can. They scoff, they speak with malice loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heaven. And their tongue struts through the earth. They're arrogant. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? They've got so much power, they've got so much control, that they even begin to doubt if God even if they even need God. Why do we need to know God? I've got everything I need. I've got power, I've got control, I've got influence. I've got it all together. I have everything I want right here. Why are you pursuing God? How silly is that? It's kind of their attitude. Verse 12, it's a great summary verse for kind of what he's looking at. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in their riches. Alright, so just look up at me for a second. So here's a guy, just like you, Asaf, who says, I know that God is good. I know that God rewards those who are pure in heart, who are committed to him, who seek after him, who walk in his ways. I know that. But I'm struggling. I'm struggling, and I'm not just struggling. I'm envious of people who have everything in this life, who have all the riches and who have all the comfort and who have all the success and who have all the power, who have it seem like they have it all together, They're not suffering at all, and I'm trying to follow God. And yet I feel like I'm the one being punished. And they're the ones being rewarded. This week, y'all, we went back to Atlanta. Michelle and I did. We had an opportunity to be back there, and it was great. We hadn't been back there in almost a year. We got to see a lot of family and friends. My heart was struggling with some of these things that Assop is struggling with. When you see people who don't know the Lord, and yet they seem like they just have it all together, Right? They're going out, they're buying all kinds of cool toys and all kinds of gadgets. They have big houses and they've got pretty much everything they want. They're able to take great trips and buy new sofas. And... <coughs> right, baby? Yeah. <laughs> things, that, things that this world says are great, they've got it. And yet they have no concern for God. They don't know Him, they don't care about Him A lot of them aren't even pursuing him. And yet they just have it all together, it seems like. And if you're not careful, your heart can be lured by all that stuff. Man, it sure would be nice to take trips like that, have a car like that, to be able to vacation like that, to be able to go buy something for your wife like that, to live in that house or... To have that much comfort? Y'all ever feel lured by that? Verse 13. Here's the real trouble. I'm so thankful that Asaph actually admits his struggle. He says, All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Alright, so what you have going on here is he's saying, I feel like I've been obeying God in vain. It feels to me like this struggle for obedience is just not working out. That I'm, I'm being persecuted for nothing. It feels like I'm pursuing God for nothing. It feels like I'm trying to be faithful to Him and to obey Him and to put what He says into practice for nothing. Because I look around and I see all these other people and they've got everything and yet I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. Y'all ever feel this way? I do. I hope you do. I know you do. You struggle with, is it really worth it to pursue God, to actually take the words of Jesus seriously and put them into practice? How do I do this? And it's an inner turmoil. It just won't sometimes eat you up on the inside. Seems like such a wearisome task. How do I do this? Because I live in a world that says, riches, power, fame, comfort. (coughs) Have everything you need how do I stay faithful in the midst of that? It seems so wearisome, and I'm always turmoiled in me. So don't you want to know how? Verse 17, or let's start in 16 again. When I thought to underst- how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. Verse 18. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish, And I was ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. What's the answer to the struggle? Asaph went into the sanctuary of God, into the place of public worship, and I don't know what he encountered there. Maybe it was the truth of God's word. Maybe it was encouragement by a fellow brother or sister in faith. Maybe it was a song that magnified the riches of the Lord. I don't know what he encountered there, but when he went into the sanctuary, into that place where he could commune with God and his fellow believers, he got an eternal perspective. He realized, it said, look at that. What did he realize in verse 17? He went into the sanctuary of God and he what? And then he discerned their end. What is he talking about? The end of those... Who seem to have it all together in this world, but not God. And the end of those who don't have everything in this world, but have God. And he started getting God's perspective on these two groups of people. And what did he realize? For those who have everything in this world, but don't have God, what is their end? Verse 18 slippery places falling into ruin, destroyed in a moment, swept away by terrors. Here one second, gone the next. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. Do you hear this? Why is it woeful? Because the end of that kind of life, a life lived apart from God, you can have everything (coughs) in this world, but you live life without God, you live life not following Jesus, and in the end, you have nothing. But for those who have set themselves on a path to follow God and to actually live out what He says, there's everything. Look at that. In verse 23, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Both in this life and the next. You see what he's setting up? In this life we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. He guides us. He protects us. He is with us. He leads us. He is always with us. And after this life, We will be received into glory upon glory upon glory, into his very presence. We will never be lacking in anything, those who trust God. You see the two ends? One looks like great right now, but the end of that is destruction. And the other looks like struggle right now, but the end of that is glory. He says he goes into the sanctuary and he sees their two ends And he remembers again the right path. He remembers again which way he wants to walk. And I know that he remembers that because these are some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Look at verse 25. He says this. Everybody read this. Well, it's not on the screen. I have ESV, so just read it in your Bible. Don't read it out loud. We'll get all confused. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. Y'all, we need God. Amen? God alone is the chief delight and the chief end of man. If you miss God, you miss everything. Every desire that you have finds its expression, its fullest expression in God, and I mean that. Every desire that you have is meant to lead you to Jesus. He is, His glory, His person, His presence is meant to be your supreme delight. You are meant, your heart, whether you know it or not, in the day-to-day life. Your heart longs to see God. Your heart is made in such a way that it is crying out continually just to behold the person of God, to look upon His presence, to gaze upon His fullness, and to be satisfied in Him. Every desire that you have is meant to find its fullest expression in God. I don't know that you always see that. A lot of people don't see that. And they end up trying to fill broken cisterns, it says in Jeremiah. Where they're just trying to stuff their life full of stuff and it never gets full. But God wants to give you His cistern, so you, you can be overflowing with His self. You are meant to know God and to pursue God. And He says, who am I in heaven but you? There's no one else in heaven. There's no one else on earth that I need or I want besides You, Jesus. Do you feel that way? I hope you do. And on earth, there is none that I desire besides you. And here's the reality of what he's saying. In this world, there is nothing that can compare to knowing God than knowing Jesus. He's saying besides you like it's a word of comparison. You put anything side by side with Jesus and what are you going to choose? If you had to choose riches or God, what would you choose? If you had to put power besides God, what would you choose? If you had to put popularity next to God, what would you choose? If you had to put comfort next to God, what would you choose? <coughs> he says, there is none that I desire besides you, God. Anything in this world compared to you is just like rubbish. It's like dung. It's like cow manure. Anything compared to God is just like dung. So he comes to the sanctuary of God, gets an eternal perspective, and he says, God, who am I in heaven but you? You're the only one that I need. You're the only one that I want. And if I put any of those things that I was envying next to you, there is no comparison. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh may fail. My heart may fail. And guys, I'm telling you, you walk down the Jesus' road, and it's not always going to be easy. Your flesh may fail sometimes. You might struggle sometimes. You might not have everything you need. You might not always be well liked. You might lack sometimes. You might have to give sacrificially to the point of hurting. And I pray that some of us will and all of us will. But even though things in this world may fail, God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. You see this? Our life is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that can take us away from Him. Whom have I in heaven but you? On earth there is nothing that I desire in comparison with you. My flesh may fail, my heart may fail, everything may go to pot, but God is mine. He is my portion forever. Y'all see that? So he gets to the end of the psalm and he says again, You know what? Yes, this world is walking towards stuff that sure is tempting to my heart. But I'm not going to be fooled because I know I could have, look, I could have everything in this world, but if I don't have God, I have nothing. I could have everything that this world affords, everything. You could too. All of you are capable of that. You could. But at the end of the day, if you go that route, and at the end of your life you do not have God and you have not been faithful to God, What do you have? You have nothing. You have nothing. Gain an eternal perspective in the struggle to obey Jesus. Yes, all that stuff looks tempting, but you can get all that stuff, but if you miss following Jesus, you've missed everything. You've missed everything. The way of that road is destruction, but the way of Jesus is life. And by golly, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to obey Him. If my flesh fails, so what? If my heart fails, so what? If I end up poor and broke and hungry and persecuted, beaten to death for Jesus, I'd rather have Jesus than anything else this world can give me. That's how you struggle to obey Jesus. You realize that God is my portion forever. He is the bedrock that I build my life on. And I don't want anything to stand in the way of being faithful to my Lord. He loves me. He has bought me with a price. I am His. And by golly, I will follow Him till the day I die if it costs me everything. Amen. There is nothing in this life that can sidetrack me from being faithful to my Lord. So bring it on, poverty. Bring it on, hunger. Bring it on, persecution, because I am going to stick with Jesus. And I'm going to obey Him because I know that He is true. And I know that He is faithful. And guys, we don't pursue poverty in itself. We don't pursue hunger in itself. We don't pursue persecution in itself. We pursue God. And if pursuing God leads us to poverty, so be it. If pursuing God leads me to persecution, bring it on. I am going to be faithful to Jesus. Are y'all with me? But you have to decide for yourself. And I wish that I could decide for you, but I can't. If you look at the very end of this psalm, and this is how we close. Verse 28. He makes this declaration. He says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Not everybody can say that, and you, I don't know what you, where you are. And I just ask this morning, in the midst of this struggle, guys, I know that obeying Jesus is hard. But as for me, it's good to obey Jesus. It's good to walk in the way of God, because I have made him my refuge, and he has never failed me yet. He guides me with his counsel, and he will lead me to glory. I don't know about you. What about you? Can you say that this morning? But as for me, I know the way that I'm choosing. Guys, there are two ways. There's the way of the world, and many so-called Christians are walking that way. And in the end, they're going to find out the way of the world leads to destruction. You can have everything in this world, but miss God, and you miss it all. But there is a way that leads to life, and it is narrow and few find it. But it is the way of Jesus. It is the way of God. Which way will you choose? Can you say today, but as for me, it is good for me to be near God. I have made Him my refuge. And I will happily engage in the struggle to obey Jesus. Because at the end of the day, whom else do I have in heaven or on earth? There is none that compares, and there's no one else that I want besides Him. Get an eternal perspective. Let Jesus change your life. It's a struggle. I'm struggling too. But you've got a choice to make. Are you going to pursue the way of the world, or are you going to pursue the way of Jesus?